Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast, brought to you by Focal Audio, the world's reference speaker. For over 30 years, Focal has been designing and manufacturing loudspeakers for the home, speaker drivers for cars, studio monitors for recording studios, and premium quality headphones. Visit Focal.com for more information. And now your hosts, Joey Sturges, Joe Wanasek, and Al Levy. All right, welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Recording Machine Podcast. I am Al Levy, and with me is Mr. Kyle Black. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Welcome back. We're Thank going you. to be doing a part two here to the other podcast that we did together, which you guys heard last week, because we just have so much to talk about that, fuck it, here we are. Yep. Just going for it. So why don't we just get right into it? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Mixing while you're sick. Yeah. We're both doing it right now. Well, I'm not mixing. That's the difference. Like, you are. How, like, I always, whenever I mix, if I get, I guess you have to, like, go, you have to weigh deadline versus how bad of a job you're going to do. But, right. like, how do you deal with it? Like, when you're stuffed up and Dude. you can't hear right? Well, right now, no, that, that's the problem. I mean, right now I'm not feeling it. So what I'm trying to do is get the basic parts of the mix done. You're not feeling it as in you're not you're not feeling mixing. I don't feel like mixing, but I yeah. have to because there's a deadline. So what I'm trying to do is blast through like two or three mixes and just get the meat of it down because I know I'm not really hearing things right. I'm stuffed up and I'm congested. So, you know, feels like I'm kind of like not hearing much high end or something. So... I just want to be careful that I'm not boosting too much high end, you know. So I'll probably just revisit it in a couple of days and make sure it's it's all good. Well, there's a lot of structural work you can do on a mix exactly without having to have the most, I guess, sensitive parts of your hearing intact. Right. I think. Yeah. Like for the most part, I'm just pulling in like the the settings from the other songs, like with the drums and the guitars and the bass and. Making sure it's all there and getting that balance right. And then I'll revisit it, get the detail stuff. So at, w- at what point do you say, all right, nothing's happening today? <sighs> um, probably never. I mean, it just, it's got to get done, right? So have you, you've never taken a sick day? Very rarely. Like I, like I told you yesterday, I did yesterday, but I did not want to, you know? Man. I had this one stretch in 2013 where I was getting uh, chronic migraines uh-huh. every single day for like a month and a half. And I solved the problem. It was dietary. Really? But yeah, um, I just needed more greens that cleared it right up. But in the meantime, while it was happening, the medication was actually making it worse. So uh-huh. I was getting what's called rebound headaches, which is... Forgive me if there are any doctors or people listening if I get this wrong, but what I believe is that it's uh, you develop uh, either the medicine doesn't actually cure you of what's causing it, so as soon as it wears off, it comes back even stronger, or you're also getting a slight withdrawal from the medication, so it comes on stronger. Either way, it makes the headaches worse, so they were just getting worse and worse, and I was editing. <laughs> drums for a band called deicide uh-huh. uh, the the death metal band the classic death metal band so it's like blast beats and double bass at like high fucking tempos oh boy for like when i was getting the worst migraines imaginable oh. for a few weeks straight it, that was tough. like that was hell right i still got it done that's good <laughs> <laughs> were you able to hit it at any point not having a headache like to kind of just make no. sure you were doing that's too bad but I'm sure you did fine. You're well, the, the, people like the record, and Good. I mean, the migraine spell lasted six weeks, and the editing on that record took me two weeks, which was longer than usual. Gotcha, gotcha. Do you drink a lot of coffee? No, but I drink Red Bull. Gotcha. How many? How much? Like two or three a day. Got it. I, like I used to drink way more. I used to drink way more. I probably, yeah, I mean, I drink way too much coffee, and I definitely know that if I don't drink enough water, I'll be getting headaches. That's for sure. Yeah, man, see, that's the thing. It's things like that. Like, if I drink enough water and I make sure to consume enough greens and all that, I never get those problems. But the minute that I forget to do any of that stuff, headaches return. Dude, greens suck. 
I hate greens. <laughs> you gotta dude, eat them, but you know, <laughs> dude. Joel, Joel loves them. the th- The thing is, man, I hate the way they taste, but I feel so much better right, right. when I consume massive amounts of them. Like. <laughs> It's not placebo or anything, man. I feel like after like three or four days of like consuming mainly greens, like I have a clarity of mind and like I don't like I feel lighter in my thinking and headaches are gone and I just feel great. And I can feel the opposite as well. Got it. Yeah. I'll give it a shot. Eat your greens, boys and girls. (laughs) So... You're a busy ass dude, um, yeah, man. which I now know because I've been talking to you for a few months now. Right, right. Um, I mean, I knew you were busy before, but like, and you have a manager. At I what do. point did you get a manager? And the reason I'm curious, we don't talk about management too often on this podcast, but it's a question that our listeners ask quite a bit: is uh-huh. like, when should they get a manager? Is a producer manager worth it? What what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, man. So um, I've had a manager for about two years now, and uh, his name is Brad Wiseman. Great guy. Hi, Brad. Yep. And he, uh, how it happened was, you know, I don't know, a few years ago I was doing, I had a great year and I was doing all these pure noise bands and I was doing a lot of bands that he was actually working with at the time, so... You know, he had just heard my name and whatnot, and he approached me, and at first I was kind of weary about it because I was doing well on my own. I didn't, I didn't have really a need for anyone to step in and help me get more stuff, you know, and, um, but he was pretty persistent about it, so we kind of, like, held off, you know, for um, maybe a couple months or a half a year or something, and then I had released this Comeback Kid record, and then he loved it, and, you know, he hit me up again. He's like, dude, we got to do this. And, you know, at the time, I was really into the bands that he was working with as a booking agent, and I liked his drive and his passion and his interest in me, and I also liked his taste in music. I liked his the path that the bands he was working with were going down and I just wanted to be a part of that and I thought it would be a good idea to um, you know join forces with him basically. So you thought that his pre-existing like niche was one that you wanted to be a part of? Absolutely yeah. I mean it was something that we were both ending up in like not working together you know like he was working with similar bands that I was working with and it just kind of was a match that made sense, you know, just to kind of have each other's backs and and hitting, approaching projects from different angles is so valuable, you know, and having someone, you know, who talks to band managers and band booking agents and, and stuff like that, just hearing my name kind of in the back or, or just from a different angle, like I said, is is very helpful, you know? But you were doing fine before that. I was. I was. But he's def- he definitely, like, taps into a scene that, you know, I can't be around 100%. You know, even though we're working in the same vein, there's still aspects and people that I have no me- of means of, like, getting in touch with or... Or uh, stuff like that. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So you did it when it made perfect sense, like almost organically. Yeah, absolutely was. And it's been working out. I think that where a lot of guys go wrong is that they try to force it. Sure. Like they think that if their career is not going well enough, that that's like a step they need in order to get their career on track. And I don't think it works that way. I think it's more of a thing where... Your career grows to a point where it makes sense that to get to the next level of growth, you kind of need to take on a business partner. But before, but you have to be like killing it to get to that point. I agree. I mean, one thing that I think about often is, uh, and that maybe some people make it a mistake that people make are is um, assuming that just because you have a manager, it means you're like set, you know? And that is not really the case. I mean, you still got to put in 
you gotta do your hustle. Like even even though I got a manager, it goes. It's the same for bands. You know, sometimes bands they start doing well and they get a manager or they get a record label and they get lazy. They stop doing what got them there in the first place. You know what I mean? And when you like, I think the trick is working hard as you do, and then just finding someone that helps the you know put fuel in the fire. You know. That helps put fuel in the fire. Just gets it going harder. You can't just you can't be lazy, you know. Which honestly is almost impossible until you're at a national level, in my opinion. Sure. I mean, we're not talking about like a business manager or a studio manager. We're talking about the uh, the fabled artist manager who is also taking on a producer as an artist, if that makes sense. Yes. I got a manager. I was managed for a while by uh, Blasco, um, who's a really cool guy. I nice. love him. And uh, it, we didn't part ways. We didn't part ways or anything. I just switched directions and started doing this stuff full time. Got and it. And I don't need management doing this. Right. Um, kind of charting my own path here. So it kind of is what it is. But the reason that I brought him on was because I was starting to get more and more bands and then I was working with other producers. So I was also doing bands for these guys and then also getting my own and right. shit was starting to get crazy and there's starting to be conflicts of interest where I work as an engineer for one producer for a band that's managed by the same guy who is hiring me as the head producer uh-huh. of another band he manages and by and and then getting dicked on payment on the one that I'm producing because I can't speak up and ruin the relationship for the producer I'm working under on the other project if gotcha. that makes sense yeah put me in a real weird situation with like politics and stuff right and getting paid so I hired a manager to come in and get me paid right and it it was at the point where I couldn't do it anymore like I couldn't send more emails make more phone calls or anything I needed someone else to step in and handle yeah. it for me it had gone beyond the point of what I could do right and it's that's a really good point or a, a good aspect of having a manager to where they can deal with business stuff and you know negotiate deals while you're you know being creative and doing what you got to do well and you know there's certain things that like it's almost like when managers fight with each other they kind of know that it's like all in sport in a way right like they'll fight over a contract and then they'll go drinking Right. You know, you know what I mean? (laughs) Like they'll see each other out on the town and, and they'll be friends again. Whereas if you fight with somebody's manager, like you as the producer or the artist fight with somebody else's manager, you could be burning a bridge. Right. So it's good that if you're going to do battle that you have a manager do the battle for you. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, they just have this unspoken, like, thing where they can fight with each other and still be cool later. <laughs> I know it's kind of weird. It's a weird world. Yeah, like the, yeah, the mu- music industry is a strange place and until you're in it and understand how all these little intricacies work, uh it can seem very uh very weird to yeah. some people. Question for you though real quick. Your manager does is he someone that you pursued, liked what he was doing, liked what he was working with and pursued him or was he someone that approached you and said, "Hey, I like what you're doing. I'd love to manage you." Uh I went up to him. Cool. But the thing is that we had known each other for a really long time. Uh-huh. Uh, my band did That's great. Yeah, he he plays bass for Ozzy Osbourne and cool. my band did Ozfest in 2007 and we developed a relationship way back then and so we've always been in touch and like kept up with each other for years and years so it wasn't like an out of the blue thing I just hit him up and in an email I was just like hey this is what I'm working on this is how much money I'm owed right now it was in the five figures I was like I need help like you want to do this and we agreed right then and there so cool there was no no real like crazy courtship or anything right. like that. Yeah, it it seems like the 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 good uh, management relationships are the ones that when you're working with guys that you trust, you know, you gotta trust that they're that they have your back and 
are doing the right thing for you and that you have a good relationship. That It's interesting you say that, though, because I feel like that trust shouldn't be blind. Like, you should always be looking out and making sure that whoever you're working with in the music industry, that their best interest is actually your best interest. Right. And that there's no conflicts of interest because conflict of interest is a very, very real thing. And if you can examine a situation and examine a relationship and come away from it and say to yourself, I trust this guy. I don't see any conflicts of interest. Then fucking hang on because <laughs> that's a good relationship. Right. So now that you're not dealing with all the business stuff, has it freed you up to uh, have any more of a personal life? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> not really. I just, I mean, you know, the business part of this business isn't, you know, it's really not the majority of handling emails and negotiating deals and trying to find work is, is certainly important, but it's not like... It wasn't taking that much time for you. Yeah. So do you have a personal life? Because I don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, I... I'll just straight up say I don't. <laughs> I don't have much of a personal life. Most of my personal and like friendly relationships are you know, music people. Like, when I go and hang out, like, I'm usually going to shows with, you know, people who are in the business or who are, are my friends, you know. I certainly consider them friends, but, you know, I don't have a girlfriend, and my close friends live kind of far. So I do have my cousin who lives down the street. I feel like... It's a lot easier to work when there's no girl in the, in the picture. Yeah, you know, that's something we should talk about here. <laughs> um, it's certainly easier to work, you know? And I've been single, or sing but not like it's a, it's not the greatest thing, though, right? Because don't you feel like, you know, you mix and you work and you love life and things, things are great. But the only thing that'll make it better is if you had a, you know, mm, a partner. I don't know. Talk to and me. The reason I say I don't know is because uh, I guess I've had relationships straight for about 10 years. Uh-huh. So I had no moments of singlehood. Got it. And so this time around, I kind of was like, I'm going to seize this and grow my companies cool. and like really like try to. Yeah. And like by the time I get it with someone else, like I want my whole life to look completely different. Like, and so... Now's the time to do it when you're single, right? Yeah, exactly. So that's like, so I've been kind of like really, really focused and Nail the Mix has been growing like crazy and some mm -hmm. other things have been growing and it's like really, really exciting. And I don't feel like there's room for anybody else right now. So it's like when I go to sleep at night, I don't, I don't have that. It's weird. It, I don't have, I know the feeling you're talking about and I have felt that way in the past, but I don't now because gotcha. this feels right. It feels like if someone was in my life, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't be able to give them what they needed, if that makes sense. Sure. Yeah, I know what you mean. So maybe later. I hear you. Well, how long have you been single for? Uh, over a year at this point. Okay, okay same. Over a year. You um, definitely get like so much more work done when you're it's single. It's crazy. But like it's, and you know, Work is hard, and it's harder when you have a girlfriend. But there's got—we all got to figure out how to make that work. And I think the answer is just, like, you got to work even harder. You know what I mean? You got to be able to wake yourself up at 8 in the morning. You know, because right now that I'm single, like, I'll start at 11 or noon and work until midnight. But if I had a girlfriend, that would not be— that would, that would not fly. fly. No, yeah. So, you know, when you get that girl, I guess I'm going to have to start waking up super early and put in my 12 hours and get home, you know, so I can hang out with the lady. Dude, Joel <laughs> gets up at like 5.30 every morning. Oh, he has a kid too, right? He has three kids. Wow. That's serious. And, and he gets into the office by 8, I believe. Uh-huh. And he's out by five. He does family stuff. He's like dad of the year. And he goes back to the studio. 
Wow. At like 9 or 10 p.m. after the kids are asleep and he's hung out with his wife. Yeah. And does a few more hours. Well, that's great. That's a great example of what you'll need to do when we're all men, you know? <laughs> yeah, when we all grow up, even though he's, he's younger than me. Um, is he? How old is he? I don't know, but I know he's got to be younger than me. I don't know. I, I'm i 37. I know he's not 37. I think he's like 34, 33, maybe got 30, it, got it. Yeah. 25. I don't know. <laughs> I, I honestly have no idea what his age is, but I'm... Pretty sure that he's younger than me. Right, right. So, but uh, he's definitely a hell of a lot more grown up than me. <laughs> <laughs> like, maybe that's what it is. I just don't want to fucking grow up. And I know that it, at this point, if I get into something serious, I'm going to have to act like a grown up. Right. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one thing, though, about relationships is that I have noticed that it is really, really hard to build a career and have an intense relationship at the same time. Yeah. And uh, I know a few people who have managed to pull it off, but by and large, most people I know who have had to like really devote themselves to something and to make it in music, you do have to really devote yourself to it. It's very, very hard to keep that going. And I've seen a lot of people fall off of their career because they were afraid of losing a relationship, which then eventually fell apart anyways. So my advice to people, especially younger cats out there, you know, between the ages of like 18 to like 28 or something, put your career first. Because in all likelihood, that girl's not going to be around in a few years. But <laughs> if you worked your ass off, your career will be. Right. And, you know, if she's the right one, she'll stick around and she'll understand. Yeah, there is that, too. Yeah. But I wouldn't even worry about it being the right one. That's kind of... <laughs> Kind of, kind of what I'm thinking now. I hear you. I also, well, I also know a lot of dudes who like thought they had the right one and it fell apart, and then they reinvented themselves, past after divorce, and then only then started what they consider to be their lives. Like my friend Ryan Bruce, uh-huh. he was on the podcast last May, and he was in. Uh, you guys might know him as Fluff from his YouTube channel, but um, he was a some sort of something at Boeing for like 10 years, had a wife, everything, got a divorce, like got fired, all that. And now suddenly he's like got a successful YouTube channel, a successful band, like works for um, Positive Grid, is making a great living with music stuff. And he completely reinvented himself. It's kind of either reinvented himself or got to live life on his own terms for mm. the first time. And, uh, you know, I've seen that a few times. And so I just, I don't know. I just think awesome. that people should put more focus into themselves. Like, focus on yourself. I hear you. Hear, unless, hear. If you're, unless if you're Joel and you have kids. Right. I mean, once you have kids and a wife, it's, it's all... Yeah, it changes everything. Yeah. So... All right, let's uh, want to talk audio. Sure, always. All right, so what are you working on? Can you say? Yeah, working on this band called Volumes. Have you heard of them? Oh, you're working on Volumes right now? Yep. Yes, sir. Yeah, I know who Volumes is. It's a really, really interesting and special project for me. And there's, I think there's a lot of cool things to be said about it. How I got it, what it's like mixing it, you know all that jazz what do you want to start with i want to start with that i'd like you to come back on nail the mix in a few months and do a volume song cool now that now that we got that out of the way okay so this is interesting to me i had no idea it was volumes and you're known for what you're known for uh you're not known for this genre of music and uh so like how does that happen a lot of people have trouble getting outside of their own genre that's why I want to know how the hell that happens. Sure. So I've, I mean, I've made it a strong point personally to not be pigeonholed in uh, any type of genre, you know, because I, although I love hardcore and metal, I don't want to be the metal guy or a metal guy. You know what I mean? Um, but I yeah. would still love to mix it. You know, I, I do a lot of pop punk but I really don't want to be the pop punk guy. I just want to be a great mixer who mixes great songs and bands, you know? So I've put a lot of effort into 
reaching out to different genres constantly. If it's if I'm if I think the band is great, no matter what kind of style it is, I'll reach out and pursue. And I won't be nervous, like, you know, I'll try and find stuff that I'll never I've never done, like like folk or something. I haven't done that recently, but I I would hit it up if I liked it, you know? So I think that's an important aspect, and that's <clears throat> probably one of the reasons why I have this record, because I pursued it, because I thought it was great, and I really do. I do think it's great. The way I got it was I know the producer. His name is Brandon Paddock, and he actually works up the street from me. I work in North Hollywood, and there's a ton of guys around here, like Eric Ron, Brandon Paddock, Mike Green, Courtney Ballard. We're all working in the same vicinity and we often hang out go get drinks and stuff so anyways one night I was hanging out with Brandon Paddock he um what had happened he I did some stuff with set it off and you know we've just been friends I think there was one time where I think I texted him I was like dude great job on the set it off record I think it sounds awesome let's hang out and just talk music and then we ended up going to sushi and he brought this guy named Diego who was in the band Volumes and we just had sushi together and talked. We ended up going back to their pad and they showed me this song or they basically showed me like five songs on the record and I just kind of was like blown away and we we hung out for about an hour or two, just talked music, talked about the mix. They asked like for my opinion on a couple things and anyways, I basically... I was like, you guys got to let me do a spec mix on this record. There's no way I'm not going to let you not... There's no way I'm going to not let you let me make a spec mix, you know? I'm not leaving this room until I get this spec mix. Exactly. So load those fucking files up, put it on a hard drive, and uh, let me have it. So basically, that's what happened. I mean, I didn't get the files that night because they weren't quite done with it, but... I let it be known that I wanted to do it. Hit him up like a week or two after a couple times. I'm like, Brandon, make sure you get me those files. Let me do a spec mix. So I really didn't expect them to like it, but I was hoping they would. <clears throat> Brandon Paddock himself is a f fantastic mixer. And, um, you know, fortunately, he was open to letting me do a spec mix because, you know, sometimes, sometimes producers just don't want to hand it off and I was lucky enough to for him to you know allow me allow me to do a spec mix because you know if everyone likes it in the camp I could potentially score the record and that's exactly what I did you know so I got a they like this mix that I did and um, the rest is history here I am mixing the whole record it's on fearless it's gonna be awesome I thought that Diego did their mixes dude Diego is killer Diego is such a talented kid. He um, he did a lot of these rough mixes, I think, or or I don't know if they're actual mixes or whatever or what I'm hearing. But Diego's killer. He also like apparently he just produced the number one rap single in America on iTunes or something like that. It's called Broccoli. Did he? Okay, so there you go. I thought for some reason that like he was the guy that did all that stuff in volumes, but maybe he's just smart enough to know that you should have someone else mix your band. Maybe so. Apparently they had been working on the record for like a year, you know, and they had it where they had it and they were doing, uh, you know, they needed to get the record done too. I'm sure that kind of helped where like they, it would just be the right decision to get it mixed by someone else. And With very, very few exceptions, I feel like even if you know how to mix, mixing your own band is a bad idea. Sure. And mind you, we've just had Nolly from Periphery on Nella Mix, and he mixed the Periphery record, right. which is his band, and it sounds incredible. So right. that's that's the exception I had in mind. Like, you know, of course, it can be done, but I just feel like there's a, it's real hard to get a bird's eye view like, sure. of your own work when it's your music too maybe it helped that he was the bass player you know nothing True. against bass players but maybe <laughs> yeah well hey. just because maybe like someone else was writing more of the music or something right yeah no i hear that bass players usually are like the the guys who are like holding it down like making sure everything's 
Right. And solid. They're, they're the secret weapon of the secret badassness, yep. basically. But not typically the main songwriters. Sure. Yeah, that's that was me and my band, for sure. You were the sauce? I don't know about the sauce. I would just say the... How would you call it? I don't know, like the... the the, the core of the apple or something. The balls and thunder? Yeah. The thunderballs? <laughs> something like that. So with this volumes, what like what's challenging about it? Oh, yeah. So let's talk about that. It is a challenging record for sure. So <clears throat> the challenge to me is it is a genre that I don't normally do. So making something extremely heavy and aggressive... You know, I can do. I love doing, but it, it's not something I often do. So, on top of that, they're kind of taking like a pop approach to the music. I was gonna say it's not just super heavy. It's yeah, like, it's like futuristic and like smooth and like slick. Exactly. It's very like melodic and yeah. But they have like very heavy vocals and very heavy music. So it's like. It's like gent rock mixed with pop music. Like, I honestly feel sometimes that I'm mixing, you know, two different genres of music here. Like, normally I would take a heavy band and, like, bury the vocal and just make sure the drums sound huge, the guitars sound huge, the bass sounds huge, and, and kind of tuck the vocals behind the drums or something. But this, like, you, the vocals are the focal point. So, like... Trying to make the mix sound huge and heavy with vocals that are on top and up front is extremely challenging. But it's a lot of fun. What are some of your ways to get around that challenge? Long days of mixing, really. Like, just trying to... <laughs> <laughs> what are my challenges, like, tool-wise? Let me think. A lot of parallel... Yeah, yeah. Let's talk technically. Like, what are, what, what are you doing to overcome that? Honestly, the thing to overcome it is to do something that I'm not used to doing, which is just pushing the vocals up and making sure every single word is heard and the S's aren't too crazy that's that's also tough when you got like really loud vocals you gotta figure out how to tame the s's but like technically how i do that geez i don't know a lot of compress a lot of parallel compression a lot of dsing on the vocals i guess figuring out the right kind of reverbs to where the reverb isn't making the mix sound muddy against all the wide guitars are you doing a lot of automation or is it, are you mainly getting the are you mainly getting it to push through via expert compression and volume, or are you doing a lot of automation no, as well? I'm not a big automation guy. I like to like get things EQ'd and compressed correctly to where you know it's flying through the mix and I'm, it's not changing much level. It's just holding it down and. So your mix mm -hmm. is just really loud all the time kind of thing. Um, but for vocals, yeah. I mean, I've, I'm doing some parallel compression with an 1176. I'm using Joey Sturgis's uh, gain reduction. Oh, that, that thing's thing, a beast. That thing's crazy. Like... Um, so the one thing that they, I one thing that they love about their mixes is just the super upfront vocals and like I was using all these different compressors trying to like hear every little piece of the vocal like the breath and the spit and like all this stuff and Joey's plugin definitely makes that easy to do. That's what it's for. Really? No, that's that's exactly what it's designed to do. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's working and I honestly you know not trying to sell his plug-in or anything, but it really, I probably wouldn't have been able to get the vocals so upfront and spitty and snotty um, without that particular plug-in. Well, it's designed as a vocal compressor, uh -huh. and it's designed to be able to replace a huge chain of compressors that he would use as gotcha. his way to get vocals to just like be super aggressive but super upfront without being ruined. Right. So that that I mean that's what it's designed to do. And it's also secondary goal is for a situation where you're not recording into like a distressor or like right. some really good analog outboard uh on the way in. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, maybe you're just recording into a preamp or an interface or something it's supposed to be able to be like brutal enough to kind of take the place of it 
though yeah. I like it. I like sending vocals through a distressor, then an eleven seventy six, and then into the computer, and then gain reduction. Right, that's super in your face, right there. Oh, and, you yeah. know, to, to add to what I'm doing to the vocals now, that's all kind of coming to me. I'm mixing the vocals like, like I said, they're tr- it's like pop e. It's pop. So, like, in a way, I feel like I'm, like, mixing, like, a Britney Spears record or something on this gent rock stuff. It's super crazy. Anyway, so I'm doing a lot of high-end boosts, like 12K, 10K, making the top end, top end like, really crystally clear. A lot of different stages of compression, I guess. You know, the one, like, I think I've got probably, like, the R compressor, Joey's plug in a DSer and then the SSL channel which I do all my EQing on and that has the the slow compression on it too and then on top of all that I have parallel compression yes uh, so it's pretty real cool. quick about the slow I prefer the slow on the SSL channel uh, Joey loves the fast I hate eh, the fast I don't like the fast I hate it hate it <laughs> I use the the slow because, like, right at the end, because I like the idea of making of, like, to my ears, I'm sure it sounds different to to different people, but, like, when you have a slow compressor at the end, the the very first word of a phrase will punch, you know, out to me, you know what I mean? So, like, on the downbeat Mm -hmm. of a chorus, it'll it'll be like a dB or two louder than the, the majority of the phrase, and... I think that's kind of cool. Like it adds to the excitement to the mix. You know, I have a lot of things like with slow compression right at the end, like a drum bus, um, my bass. So whenever like the downbeats of choruses hit or whatever, it just kind of like flicks at you. So, and I guess that's your way of getting around the classic automation trick sure. of of automating up the downbeats. Sure. Yeah. Oh. Absolutely. I will literally only use parallel compression on my drum bus to make sure the downbeats are stronger than the rest. And you do that by using slow attacks. Exactly, yeah. And you know what? If I need, if I want the drum bus to be like more sustainy and compressed sounding, I will work it in. You know what I mean? With a with a separate compressor. Mm-hmm. But you know, there'll always be something at the end that's just chopping like two or three dBs off or something. So speaking of the multiple stages of compression, is that something, do you do the multiple stages at like low ratios or low gain reduction, like maybe two dB here, then two dB there, or are you just going for broke? (laughs) I don't really have a set rule. I just kind of go for what feels right, but I usually end up like with the first compressor on a vocal would be to just level it out a little bit. The second one would be probably a little more aggressive to you know get the breath and the snot like kind of coming through um, pop on a deesser sometimes I'll have a deesser first in the chain sometimes I'll have two deessers on the vocal one first and then one after the compressors like compressing different high-end frequencies and then, the last one will be that slow, the slow one. So it's kind of like, so tell me if this is like a good description. So like the first one is kind of like corrective. Sure. And that it'll tame crazy peaks or yeah. whatever. The second one is where you get tone and attitude from by like yep. bringing up the the snot, like you said, and the aggression. Yep. And then the last one is where you get that punch yeah. on the downbeats from. Totally. So I just um, the reason I'm spelling that out for people is because you're not just throwing a shit ton of compression on because CLA does it or something. Right, right. Um, the, each one is playing a specific role. Yeah, I mean, understanding that that compression and what it's doing and why is is uh, what you got to know to be able to use multiple compressors um, effectively. Really? Yeah, totally. Well, I think. You know, when you're first starting out, you don't know what any of them do, and you just, you just, <laughs> yeah, you just go for it. And you're like, "Fuck, that sounds cool," but yeah, that it took me so long to understand compression. I don't know what the hell I was doing. Like, what the hell is re- attack and release? You know, it took me like five, five to ten years to like really, 
you know, not to discourage anyone out there, but... Ah, that's what it takes. Yeah, I mean, you really got to zero in and use your ears and try a lot of different things and use different compressors and and twist those knobs and try and figure out what the hell you're hearing. Read material, listen to these podcasts, you know, like, it's tricky, but it's so much fun when you know what you're doing. I Oh, another cool trick I do with compression on this record, too, is side-chaining effects. Side-chaining, like, vocal delay and delay throws. So could can you imagine what I'm doing at that aisle? So where is the compressor? Is it on okay. the vocal or is it on the delay? The the compressor would be on the delay. Okay, so it, and is it triggering off of the vocal? Correct. So that when the vocal goes out, the delay gets louder? Correct. That's cool. That's like one of the funnest things to do to, for me, especially with delay effects. And this is, again, I feel like, I'm learning a lot about your style right here. So you're doing a lot of stuff that some guys might do via automation. You're just getting your compressors to do that for you. Exactly. Definitely. Actually, in a, I did a, a reverb course uh-huh. for our URM enhanced level, and I went through that exact technique because really? I love that yeah. technique. It's oh, great. It's so cool. Because it's, it's perfect. I like really, really textured and busy delays, but... Mm-hmm. They're, you know, the problem with those, as you well know, is that they will muddy up a mix in a heartbeat. So uh, the real trick is to get them out of the way when the material, when the, when the actual material is out front, like the guitar solo or the vocal, and to then let them be awesome delays once the vocal or solo is out of the way. And I, yeah, I found that that sidechain throw trick is fantastic. Dude, so fun. And, you know, with the, you know, when you, you could fuck with the release and the attack on that kind of stuff and, mm-hmm. and make it feel like, you know, it's being thrown at you. Like, literally, you know, if you you slow down the, the release and it'll kind of come at you a little slower. If you want it right in your face right away, you just make the release really fast. You know, if you want the delays to feel like it's punching, like, during a vocal, then you kind of, like, lay back on the attack and you let it cut through a little bit, you know, if you want. It's fun stuff. You know what's interesting to me about using compressors for throws? Huh. You could do this all with volume automation. You could. And I've done it plenty of times. But there's something about setting the compressor properly, which, I don't know, it feels like the sonic feel of it, when you get it right, I think is way cooler than anything I've I've been able to nail with um, volume automation for some reason maybe I'm just not that good at writing awesome volume automation or something I totally agree I mean that's that's uh, that's what I mean it's like you can you can screw with that side chain compressor and do whatever you really want it to do and come at you in a different way or put an effect on it or whatever you know, so you started talking about compressors on drums real quick. Yeah. So, do you use a lot of parallel stuff on drums too? Yeah. I mean, I'm not like a huge parallel guy. Like I know a lot of a lot of guys are for sure. But and I do use parallel compression, but it's not an, an end all be all kind of thing to me. I for drums, I'll usually have like a, a mono compressor, just compressing the snare and kick together. And I simply use that to make the kick and snare snap a little bit more. Or, you know, depending how I set it, like it has a little bit more sustain on the kick and snare. But I'll throw that down the center, I won't overthink it, and then I'll go up and down on it if, if I want that kick and snare to feel like it's more in your face. You know, I think that when a lot of people read the words, put them through a compressor to glue them together, you feel like you know what that means, but those words in and of themselves are kind of deceptive. It's almost like a feel thing, like a timing thing, kind of. Sure. It's uh, it, Obviously, it doesn't change the timing, but you can change the the emphasis of how the beat feels by how Mm -hmm. you adjust the compressor. And so by putting 
two rhythmical anchors through a compressor together, a kick and a snare. I mean, those are your anchors for the whole song. Right. Um, you can adjust how they feel together. Uh, you can glue them into a feel. Right. And Joel, Joel did a course called Hearing Compression where it's, it's mind-blowing how well he describes it but he goes through how to do that on a distressor for like vocals guitars drums but like really it's the only time i've ever seen someone really display in detail like crystal clear how a compressor can affect your perception of the timing and of the feel of the music interesting it's really crazy that's rad one of my favorite uses for parallel is is just to get sustained like especially like for corrective measures, like uh-huh. say you get a uh, a drum recording that's pretty good, but for some reason the room's just not long enough, or the cymbals, maybe the drummer hit super hard, like so hard that he caused the cymbals to kind of choke themselves out a little bit. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, like, of course. And and you're looking for more like sustain. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I find it's great for that. Just blend it in. Cool. He, Nicely, I find that that's a good one. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, sometimes I'll do that too. It kind of depends on what you want to do to the drums, and if you're if you're looking for that sustain. So, how do you go about doing that? Like, what what will you send through, and what will you set that compressor to? Like, will it be fast or slow, or it'll be fast as fuck attack? Like, I mean. It'll be fast. Yeah, so you chop off the transients. Oh yeah, it'll be it'll be fast attack and a slow release, and it'll be kind of obliterated on the gain reduction, just to where by itself it's gonna sound like a distorted, flattened, pompy mess for right. shit. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> like, well, the thing is, like, if you do it on like really, really good compressors with good rooms it actually sounds really fucking cool but like the way to describe it would just be dirty and pumpy right right? like and but then just blend it in really quietly under the the normal rooms or overheads until they just start to sound longer right that's awesome i just started doing um i never really did um What's it called? Like bus compression, drum bus compression. I've only started to do that recently, like in the last couple months. But I'll always end up using a uh, some kind of compressor that has a mix knob on it, you know? So I can kind of do what you're talking about, still keep my idea of the mono parallel compression for the attack, you know, which is a very slow attack. So it's snap cracking, but then using the idea that you're having on a mix knob on the drum bus, like that's cool. So you blend in the sustain at uh, to, to taste. Exactly. <laughs> As yeah. they would say on message boards. Right. Because to me, it's so easy to like kind of fuck up your drum and just make it like two in your face. And, yeah. you know, like I don't love that. And... I try to keep my, um, you know, my master mix, like, not too compressed. I'll actually, one one of the things I was going to talk about on the, the nail the mix thing is, uh, you know, what I'm doing with my master bus, like, w- how I'll, I'll go back and forth from a limited mix and an unlimited mix, and I'll make sure it sounds both, or good in both worlds, you know? That's great that you're planning on talking about that, because yeah. people really... Are I don't know. It's like the final, you know, the final mystery of life or right. something is the master bus. Everyone's always curious about it. It's such a world. It's and it's so hard to deal with. I can talk about it for hours. We can talk a little bit about it now, or we can wait till next. Yeah, let's mix. talk about it. Uh, there's nothing. There's nothing that we will talk about now that isn't going to be explained in. A million times more detailed on Nail the Mix just because you have the DAW in front of you and people can hear what you're saying. So, I guess I'll just get started. I mix with, um, I'll constantly go back between my limited mix and the unlimited mix. In my opinion, it needs to sound really good in both 
worlds and um, level matched or not not level matched well sure yeah it can be level matched but i mean my limited one yeah yeah it could be level level matched for sure because you know i know in the end it's going to get mastered and it's got to get limited and it's got to get loud and competitive so you know my mix mix will usually tend to have you know drums super loud not not super loud like but louder than you might think and then and then it um but but not obnoxious like it can't sound stupid you know like it can't sound like it's not mixed let's talk about that for a second yeah because this is something that a few years ago used to trip me up as a mixer was what volume do you set it at when sending to mastering and then i first started when People would tell me, my mentors would tell me, you know, you want the snare poking maybe 1.5 dB louder than you would normally have it. I would try that, but my ears weren't that sensitive yet, so it didn't sound like enough. So I would have them like 6 dB louder, and the mastering engineers would be like, dude, turn your drums down. So then, now that I'm, you know, a lot more developed, that 1.5 or 2 dB louder on the kick and snare, man, I totally hear it. It's so much louder. And uh, but it's still not so loud that it doesn't sound like a mix. Like it still sounds like a mix, just right. a drum up mix. Exactly. And you know when you get the like when you fuck with like a real mastering engineer who who does a great job, I have noticed that the ones that I love and the bands usually love are when they don't fuck with your mix and it doesn't sound different. It just sounds really loud and just in charge, you know. Yep. But overall, the blend is like pretty much the same it's your mix but better yeah just bigger and louder yeah and um so i here's a funny story it actually happened to secrets on state champs like i had been mixing like that and my drums were really loud and they got ted jensen to master it and you know there was there was a song or two where i got it back i'm like holy fuck that sounds like my mix, the unmastered version of my mix, just like extremely loud. You know what I mean? And I was, and I kind of freaked out. And I was like, God, the drums sound so loud. And I actually ended up reprinting two mixes. One of them was Secrets with, you know, the snare drum a little loud. And it cost me a couple hundred bucks personally because I was because I <laughs> because Ted Jensen is expensive yeah because he ruled you know he it's an actually embarrassing how much it, it costs to like get him to master it but oh, like, I, I know he mastered my band's record once <laughs> yeah it's like amazing you know um and uh, but totally worth it but god like when you when you're dealing with that kind of money it's like like you really need to be working with a label that is willing to invest a big a huge amount of money to get it mastered like that anyways um totally rad my point is you know when you screw around with mastering engineers like that who know what they're doing they they are gonna make your mix the the master's gonna sound like your mix my so my point is your foam master it's just got to sound good in both worlds you know that's it's funny man the time that that Ted Jensen mastered my band's record. Colin Richardson had mixed it. Uh-huh. And I didn't understand how it could possibly sound better than Colin's mix. And when Ted did it, it's not, it wasn't a million times better. It was just right. louder yep. and cooler. Yeah. But it was still his mix. Right. His sound and great engineers is like, well, specifically his sound. It's like, you just, it gives you that, um, that extra edge when it's coming through streaming sites and and uh, go on now what were you going to say I was just going to say it wasn't like this grand transformational event where it was like right. the zero became the hero suddenly right <laughs> yeah that's that's how I felt too getting it back it fucking ruled though man that was cool yeah it's like the Midas touch almost it's weird how do they not touch the mix like how do they keep it sounding like your mix but like make it sound so much better but not <laughs> get intrusive and like yeah. it's it's crazy it i don't is, get it yeah it's some kind of magic they're doing it's really it's the thing that blows my mind is getting it super loud and making the drums still feel punchy and like transient heavy 
kind of just blows my mind. Yeah. That's it. I don't know. Did that help with the uh, the bus thing? Yeah, I, I, I believe it did. Cool. I, I think that a lot of people are trying to master before they're ready to master, maybe, and are fucking with the master bus also just on a mixing level before they're ready. Uh, that's meaning they don't have good balances yet, and they're kind of relying on the master to fix a lot of their mixing problems. And uh, Let me add to that. I, I, I find that people are using, you know, they're trying to beat, previous recordings or they're trying to get louder than other things which they can and are doing in a lot of instances especially with this new slate stuff and you know joey's thing like that shit is loud that that gets it everything it gets it really loud but at the same time you kind of got to step back and maybe listen to it at a low level and really make sure you're you're doing the right thing to your mix before you keep twisting those knobs harder and harder because sometimes I feel like if you're totally squishing out the dynamics of your mix you're losing a lot of excitement and and the thing is too like so for Dale the mix subscribers if you watch Joey mix something for instance and he goes to town with his limiters and all that he's he's removing the dynamics in that way but he's returning them back through his automation and through all the other stuff that he does so he has a whole process to to where he likes to remove dynamics and then he likes to control them completely so it's not that it's a completely lifeless mix if anything this mix is slam sure so definitely where i think a lot of people don't realize that there's a second part to that process. You're not just <laughs> limiting the shit out of things. You're taking out the dynamic range so that you can add it in later. And you are supposed to add it in later. How and do you, you do don't that? Add it in. Through a lot of automation, lots gotcha. of clever wizard stuff. Interesting. That's cool. See, that's something that I don't do, but it's super interesting to hear that, that, he, that he's doing that because I know he masters his own stuff. Yes, he he gets down to like syllables and like cutting out all the syllables on a, a certain and, and putting them on their own track and giving them their own EQ and he'll automate EQs and automate he automates like everything it's crazy cool so the thing is that in order for him to do that consistently and reliably there can't be movement in the tracks already. Gotcha. Right? So he's going to be adding the movement in through his little wizard works. <laughs> so so if you're watching Joey and all you do is throw on the limiter because he does it, you're missing the whole other part of of why he's awesome. Interesting, yeah. He, he should do a course on that. Has he ever done a, a mastering course? No, he hasn't done mastering. Got but it. one thing I am that I did tell him I want him to do and he agreed is um a uh they're called fast tracks they're these mini courses that we do uh -huh. on our URM enhanced level they're like 90 minute 2 hour long courses on like one topic yeah and uh I t I really want him to do one on automation specifically his style of automation cuz it's crazy cool that's rad yeah well so if I had to put um I'd love to see that I was going to say, if I Me had too. to, <laughs> for the kids out there who are interested in doing that, because, you know, mastering is such a intense and real job. Um, if they get a chance, learn the craft for sure from guys like Joey or, who, or whoever, or, you know, invest some of that budget that you're getting paid to do that record and find a mastering guy. And, and try it out. And here's a little secret. You could get spec masters from a lot of different guys. A lot of guys that are really awesome will do spec masters. There's a guy in our group that you might know him. You know Mike Kalajian? No, I haven't heard of him. Just because you know Dan Korneff and stuff. Of course. Dan Korneff turned us on to Mike Kalajian. Okay. Um, he calls Mike the next Dan, the next uh, Ted Jensen. And, cool. Um, 
so Joel has had him master stuff, and uh-huh. some guys in the group have, and he's incredible. And like, so Great. anyone who's a subscriber can hit him up, Rogue Planet Mastering. He's phenomenal we're probably gonna have him do a mastering course because cool because he's just great but yeah you should check this dude out man like for cornef to to give him that kind of endorsement says a lot i think definitely for sure good stuff i love mastering do you i mean like i i appreciate the art so much you know like it's real you know, so have you ever had that experience of hating mastering, though, of like getting your mixes back and being like, what happened? Of course. That's why <laughs> I have so much appreciation for the guys that do it well. You know, it's like it's like it's almost like getting someone, you know, like choosing the guy who's going to mix your record. Like it's not as strong as that. But, you know, like. Different guys will master different ways, and some of them I like, some of them I don't. Yeah, well, the thing <laughs> is, if you make the right choice, it might not be as impactful as the mixer, but right. not far off if you make the right choice. Yeah. Like, if the guy, like, nails it, and then the, so does the mixer, like, right. you're golden. Absolutely. There's some guys out there who are, you know, they got their stuff on the playlist and it's either super loud or it sounds really squashed. Like sometimes when you're hearing stuff on playlists and if something sounds really squashed and almost like lo-fi or something compared to others, it probably has to do with the mastering engineer. I, I, I agree. So let's change topics real quick. There's something I wanted to ask you about that... Uh this also is something that comes up with our subscribers a lot. We try to vary things up on Nail the Mix, and, you know, like one month we'll have Periphery, next month we'll have you doing State Champs. Like, we had Machine Head before, like, mm-hmm. the, we had, like, Pop Rock one month, and most of our subscribers like that. But some of them, you know, are into the genre they're into, and so they'll get bummed out that, like, something that isn't their particular favorite thing Uh is coming up and i always tell them not to look at this as though you're the a fanboy getting some tracks to have a fanboy time on look Uh at it as though practice for the real world because in the real world you don't always get to choose where your mixing paychecks are coming from right and you don't always get to work with bands you love like if you do wonderful but it's not always going to be that way. So I'm just wondering what your what your feelings are on uh, we're taking gigs for money that you might not necessarily like versus just working with bands you love and how you balance that. Got it. Yeah, that's tough. You know, because it's really tough to consistently work with bands you love, but it's certainly the goal. Um, um, and something that everyone should strive for. There are gigs that I take that I don't necessarily love, but I'll do it because it's a paycheck. And But that's just because, you know, you got to be working all the time and you're not always going to have that band you love in every time. So did I answer that good at all? Yeah, I think so. The thing is, the lights aren't going to keep themselves on. And uh, to make a right. living from mixing, like you need to be mixing a lot. Right. Like, you know, like the days of getting $30,000 for to mix a heavy record, you know, it's kind of over for the most part. Sure. So, and I'm just saying, because I remember when some guys I knew were making that to mix something. And it's Uh like, that's awesome and all. But like, in all reality, to be a mixer, you have to mix all the time. And uh, in all likelihood, you're not going to like that many bands. <laughs> like, right. if you're fortunate enough to like some of them, cool. But, like, so what are you going to do the rest of the time? You're just not going to take the work? If you don't take the work, you're going to fall behind in your career. Other people are going to get the gigs, and one thing is going to lead to another, and you won't be as in demand, um, and you lose your momentum. So it's a choice. Do you want to do this as a hobby? Or as a career, and if you want to do it as a career, you got to just say yes a lot, even if it's not your favorite band. That's true. That's true. But at the same time, you do need to be selective, though. Just to add to it, you know, you got to find that. What's what I mean by difficult is trying to find the balance of 
or saying yes and no at the right time, you know, that's something that needs to be developed and figured out. But I do think the end all goal is to, you know, work with bands and music you're passionate about or else it's, you know, you're not going to love what you're doing and you're going to start doing a poor job. Yeah, yeah. There, Of course, like, I'm not suggesting that people hate their lives. Right. But, I mean, now you're coming to a point where you're you have the the skills and the ability ability meaning in your career like to like be like hey volumes you got to let me do a test mix mm-hmm. you're going to let me you know <laughs> and you have the skills to pull it off yeah but you didn't always right there was a time when you weren't as good of a mixer and you didn't have the kinds of connections that you do now yeah. where maybe you wouldn't have gotten the volumes record. I don't know how many years ago, but like there was that time in your career because all of us start at the bottom, right? And yes, you would have had to say yes to a lot more stuff back then just to keep the lights on, I'm assuming. Yeah. No, definitely. I mean, for sure. I I totally agree. I would probably say that the month or two before I got the volumes thing, I was probably <laughs> working on something that you know I didn't particularly love or wasn't as passionate about or something it definitely happens I think that uh, the way you help gauge that I think is setting the right price for your service like if it's something that you don't particularly love but they're willing to pay a price that you'd be willing to do it at you know that's that's important to figure it out that's a good way to put it too because there comes a point where if you're getting paid enough, like, how bad is it really? You just mix some music or record some music. Like, right. come on. You know? <laughs> <laughs> totally. Like, like, there could be way worse things you could be doing with your day. So, and so, I'll just say that one of the things that comes with a successful career is the ability to have more control over who you work with. Right. You know, that's that's something, that's like, you know, like, hashtag life goals sort of thing like it is getting to the point where where you can you can kind of chart your own course and work with people that you feel passionately about right but to get to that point you're gonna have to have a i think have a wide range of clients and just get good at a bunch of different things like totally do death metal one month and pop punk the next and totally you know just get good at it yeah for sure keep the range wide i when people ask me what kind of music i work on i say anything under the rock umbrella you know like whether it be metal or punk or emo or acoustic or whatever as long as it rocks, I guess acoustic doesn't rock all the time, but you know what I mean. Like if it has guitars and um, stuff, yeah, keep keep that range wide. Definitely definitely don't be narrow-minded when it comes to uh, mixing. And with that, Mr. Kyle Black, I'm going to cut this episode off. It's been cool, amazing having you on for part two. And, yeah, uh, that was fun. Yeah, can't wait to... Do part three in Orlando. Yeah. Well, part three is going to be um, <laughs> our Q&A session, I guess. Sweet. That'll be fun. And then we'll do part four on uh, Nell the Mix. Cool. Thanks for having me again, I all appreciate it. That was a lot of fun. Likewise, man. Thank you. Cool. The Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast is brought to you by Focal Audio, the world's reference speaker. For over 30 years, Focal has been designing and manufacturing loudspeakers for the home, speaker drivers for cars, studio monitors for recording studios, and premium quality headphones. Visit Focal.com for more information, to ask us questions, make suggestions, and interact. Visit urm.academy slash podcast and subscribe today.